Jim is very well respected throughout uh, the denomination. He's now the uh, president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. We welcome him warmly to a pulpit and we welcome Wendy as well. Please feel welcome and let's just give attention as he comes now to address us. Thank you very much, Thank you. Well, good morning to you. It is appropriate to say they tolerated me. My favorite pulpit in all the world. If you ever sell this thing, please let me know. I'll be your highest bidder. It's really good to uh, be with Pastor Theo and the ministry of Brown's Chapel continuing on. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I served here for two years as a part-time youth pastor from 1989 to 1991. They decided to give a young kid a shot out of seminary at the age of 25 and a young family to start here as lead pastor all the way through 2004 from 1991. It's hard to believe 18 years ago this summer when I was elected to serve the denomination, very unexpectedly uh, nominated from the floor and uh, had delegates there from our congregation and lots of tears after that election. But I knew that God was calling me and I pray that he's continued to call you. And he's calling someone in scripture today as well. But before I preach, that's what the sacred desk is for. I just want to say thank you. Thank you for allowing me to grow up here. And thank you for loving my family here. My children were dedicated here and baptized here, now serving as a pastor in Delaware, and will become the lead pastor of a church that uh, runs about 900 uh, sometime this calendar year as his lead pastor retires, and two little grandsons that are 1,300 miles away from Wendy and I, and so we make it to the eastern shore as often as we can, and then Courtney, whose last name is not to be used in public, but regardless, is about 5,000 miles away from here today, 1,200 miles from the border of Ukraine, to be specific, and so we're praying for her. There is no imminent danger where she is at right now, but uh, her country, where she is serving to ministry to the Muslim population there, is uh, on uh, President Putin's list for the next targets in the Baltic states, so... Continue to pray for her and her protection. Uh, she's 25 and tells me, Dad, everything's fine. Nothing has changed. Oh, to be 25 again. But she blesses my life and uh, blesses, uh, the, Caleb does as well, and uh, your love for Mindy, my first wife, and your love for Wendy, my uh, now-to-be-loved-again in life, it's amazing to be loved by two wonderful women in a lifetime. And so it's something that uh, we're definitely blessed. And uh, I am at Oklahoma Wesleyan. I just finished my third year, finished my first uh, review in a four-year contract this week, actually. So uh, long meetings and board meetings, and some of those are spelled B-O-R-E-D, by the way, <laughs> just like the meetings I led here, but regardless. <laughs> I'm still leading meetings, and it's the least favorite part of my life. But regardless, uh, God is blessing our university. We have the second highest enrollment in school history. That's since 1905. It is my alma mater. It's Wendy's alma mater as well. And uh, we're looking forward to great days ahead. You might wonder if there's a Christian university, even an evangelical or Bible-believing university that ever exists again. According to the media, it doesn't. 
According to social media, it never did, but regardless, um, we exist to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ, and we exist to send students out into this world to fix it for Jesus, and that's exactly why that university is there, and I'm honored and humbled to lead it. The scripture this morning is most important, and that is Luke chapter 5. You're in a series trying to discover who this Jesus is, and when he shows up, what does he require? What happens when Jesus comes on the scene? We're in Luke chapter 5, verses 27 through 32, and the command that I'll refer to in just a little bit is, follow me. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at a tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Lord, this is your house and this is your word. And we have come here in a certain way, in a certain manner, in a certain mindset, and a certain state of our soul. I pray that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you will cause us to leave different, truly followers of you and you alone. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Following Jesus requires a command on our lives. It's not an option. The setting of this particular text is that Jesus is wandering through a town, and some of us might think that he's wandering hopelessly and helplessly, but actually he has his eyes up and ears open everywhere he goes. It'd be a good admonition for us as well to keep our eyes open and our ears open for those who might need to have a conversation and might need the grace and the truth of Jesus. And all of us need to consider this command that he actually approaches someone who you might not think Jesus should actually stop and talk to. We know that Christ had his eyes and his ears peeled for those who didn't know him. We know that he was, uh, because he is God, sensitive to the fact that there were people who had eternal needs that others might see actually as someone you should never talk to except only just talk about. And so here is this man named Levi, who by the way becomes Matthew later, and he's sitting at a place near an entrance of a town and the custom would be that he would be basically what we would call customs today. And so Levi is there sitting in a booth of some sort. I don't know if it looks like a carnival booth at the Hancock County Fair. I don't know if it's simply a table and a chair. I don't know exactly if he had a tent over his head in the blazing sun of paradise or also that day in Israel. But there he is sitting and he's just simply watching and waiting. He's not asking for passports. He's not asking for TSA regulations. He just simply wants to know what kind of stuff are you trying to bring into his town. He's not known to be a very kind man. 
As a matter of fact, he's a liar and a thief. Now, my mother said that I should never call someone a liar, but she's not here anymore, so Levi is a liar and a thief. And he will cheat anybody out of everything that they have if he wants to. Of all the people that Jesus would go to on that particular day, surely there was somebody that was sick that needed to be healed. Surely there was somebody that was demonic and and had oppression in their lives and needed to be delivered. Of all the days, of all the scenes, you find Gospel of Luke, the doctor, the, the Gentile writer of the New Testament coming on this scene and just simply saying, where Jesus sees this man, he goes over to him and says, follow me. It wasn't follow me because you're a good person. It wasn't follow me because I think that you're terrific. It wasn't me follow me because I think you could help me advance my kingdom. It wasn't follow me if you feel like it. I, I don't know how many of you felt like coming to church today. Don't answer that question. There There were many days and years that uh, I came to church here and I really didn't feel like it, but there's an altar in front of me. I have to confess that this morning. But this is a command. There's no option to it. There's really even no volition that Jesus gives to Levi, even though we believe that people have a free will and they can make the choice and that's the best way to show your true love to Christ. This is a command. This is an expectation. And it's an expectation not just for Levi. It's an expectation for us as well. Even the rapture, the, the rap of this verse, the end of this particular section of scripture says it's really not for the righteous. It's for everyone who's ever been inflicted by lying or cheating or a sinful nature inside of you. He expects that people will follow him. Not today, later, not tomorrow, later, not next year, not when I feel like it, not when I get inspired, not when I feel like I'm pleased with everything that goes on at church, not when I'm pleased with everything that goes on in Washington, not when I'm pleased that there's world peace and it really can't exist, which by the way, it never has. He commands all of us to follow him. So before you look past yourself and only see Levi, take a good look. It's the expectation of every person God has created. Every person. Now, some people might think that there may be some folks that are beyond the ability to follow God. Some of you might remember back to 1991, I was sharing this with Pastor Theo uh, during a prayer time this morning, and 1991 was uh, right smack in the middle of Desert Storm. I know there's one lady who remembers that very well in this place today. And I came in here as a young pastor in July, even though Desert Storm and the invasion of Iraq and Iran had happened in January of that year, even though there were grandchildren and sons and daughters who were from this county who were sent and deployed there, I came in as a young pastor and preached about Jonah. My first series here was about Jonah. And I compared Iraq to Nineveh. And I compared the leader of Iraq to someone that Jonah was called to go and preach the gospel to. And frankly, I was 25 and I was a little bit young and dumb. Now I'm just old and dumb. 
Just ask my faculty. They'll, they'll tell you how much I need to learn. But a great group of people, and a great group of people here who was patient with me when I was trying to declare the fact that every person in the world is made in the image of God and no one is beyond the grip and the grace of God no matter what they've done or what I think about them. No matter what they look like or what land they're from. And so I might as well just continue, just continue the trouble that I caused even back then as a young pastor. Vladimir Putin is not beyond the grace and the goodness and the salvation of God. He's made in God's image. He was made for a purpose. And he might just as well be Levi. That we just like to Jesus just to slide on by and never talk to him. He would still look at the premier of Russia or even the one who wants USSR back today no matter what and say to him, follow me. Think about it. Let's just get into it. Some of you would expect that of me anyway. Let's just stir it a little bit. Is that me? Am I the one who people would pass by? Or is it somebody else that I think is way beyond anybody that should ever even be given the opportunity to follow Christ? What an amazing passage this is. And Jesus doesn't simply say, Follow me because you're great. Follow me because I love you in, in some kind of way about his human performance. No, he says, even knowing exactly what Levi was doing and knowing exactly the kind of pain he was causing on people of that day, he said to him, follow me. And you know what? If he actually did, what an amazing, what an amazing miracle that would be for all people of that day, including Levi's friends that we find out a little bit later kind of gets into our stuff a little bit today, doesn't it? Kind of gets into maybe somebody that we think might be an outcast. And one of the things that um, I always encourage people to do is to develop some not yet eyes. Not yet. Not yet. You know, because sometimes there were some folks in my life, even while I pastored here, to be really honest with you, that, that were never eyes. One of the incidents that happened to me really early on in ministry here, nobody taught about this in seminary, nobody taught about this in college, but I actually was held at gunpoint in this building for three hours on a Tuesday night in September of 1991, to be specific, at about 6.35 p.m. I had just married the girl of my dreams. I had just given my uh, entire education career of seven years to be well-prepared for ministry, and came into a Tuesday night counseling session and literally had a 38 pointed at my head. Had nightmares for two years. Locked the side door of the church that's no longer here for two years. Had dreams of members of the church actually holding the gun at my head for two years. Nobody liked that back then when I told them that. And hopefully the members of the congregation are so much better in treating the pastor better today. We hope that. And, and if it's not, the command is to follow me, not to take your pastor hostage. But I can tell you for that particular gentleman, my eyes were never. I was so angry and so mad and so distraught and so messed up upstairs. I had to get to a point where I knelt here by myself in, in this sanctuary at this altar and ask God to forgive me and to take away my never eyes even toward that man who mistreated me and developed not yet eyes. You, you know, I have some yes eyes, meaning I... I can see 
that God's at work in somebody's life. I can see that God is getting a hold of even some of the students on our campus. I, I can see the miracle and the transformation that God does in somebody's life when he saves their soul and they repent of their sins. I can see some yes things, but there's some other folks in my life I need to develop some not yet eyes. How about you? It's time that we stop talking about people and start talking to them. Levi would have been the talk of the town. And what he did would have been the talk of the town as well. One of the favorite memories that I have of actually our son Caleb was about three years old. And I remember putting him to bed on this property where there was a house uh, here on this corner. He might have been about two at the time. And we were just getting ready to move to town. And I remember tucking him in one night. We were saying our bedtime prayers. And... Um, I kind of opened the window, and he looked outside. The stars were bright that night. And, and I just asked, you know, because I was looking for sermon illustrations, frankly, I, I just asked that, God, Caleb, why do you think that God created us anyway? Why do you think God created us? And he looked at the stars and looked at me, looked at the stars and looked at me. It's time for bed, you understand. He's going to stall like a smart young man. Looked at the stars and looked at me. And this is what he said. It's one of my favorite lines on this property ever by anyone that's ever said anything. Why did God create us? This is what he said. Because he was bored. <laughs> that's what he said. To which in my mind I said, and he's not been bored ever since. Since he created us, we, we've kept him pretty well entertained, haven't we? God created us to be at one with him, to walk with him, to talk with him, to be in relationship with him. It's where we get the word communion. It is to be something where we are unified with Christ. And it should be a natural thing. He shouldn't have to tell Levi or anybody else, follow me. It's a command. Following Jesus requires sacrifice and obedience. Levi got up. He left everything. He would have left everything that he had collected there. There wasn't any depository. There wasn't any bank that he could have stored things in. There wasn't any storage unit like half of Hancock County is turning into, I see. It is not something where, it's also called Amazon for those of you who work there. But anyway, this it, it is not something where he could have just kind of left his stuff somewhere safely. He literally got up and left everything, and it would have been everything that he owned. I think he had a stash somewhere out in the county. I don't know. It doesn't say that. He got up and he left everything. It was sacrificial and it was obedience immediately. What a lesson for stuff that we're carrying around. He left what he knew was normal. He left a life where he was a crook. That's how he made his living. He, he would have had to pay some kind of assessment to the Roman government, but literally cheated people out of everything that they had if he wanted to or nothing if he wanted to, depending on what the feeling was that day. He got up and he left everything. I know what you're thinking. Here comes the message that I can't have anything. I'm at a university that has literally an emphasis in our school of business that stresses free enterprise, capitalism, and religious liberty. And so, becoming president, I decided I would ask some questions. What's it for? 
well, we want to teach capitalism and free enterprise and religious liberty. I said, perfect, what's it for? Well, we want to teach capitalism and free enterprise and religious liberty. I said, you can, only if it's to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. If it's for yourself and no one else, we're not teaching that here. You'd thought that I had taken down the American flag and done something with it. Let me help you with something. Christianity is not American. I love my country. I'm learning to love Oklahoma. We brought the wind with us just so you could enjoy it today. The minute, the minute I put nationalism and my love for country above my love for God, I'm wrong. Look at us. Look at our country. It doesn't matter what side you're on. You fight. I fight over the wrong things sometimes. Look, take your stand. Take your biblical stand. Treat people with dignity because Christ treats people with dignity. Take your stand on social issues. I, I got in all kinds of trouble in the county here because I took a stand against all of the casinos and, and, and the paramutual betting that was coming in. I've been cussed out by every county commissioner that ever served in this county because we were going to take, as a church, a biblical stand against gambling and all that comes with it. Take your stand. Make sure you have the posture of Christ and that you advance the kingdom, not just yourself. I'm all for free enterprise as long as you advance the kingdom. I'm all for capitalism as long as you advance the kingdom. Don't mishear me. I love this country. It's the land of my birth. I'm pretty sure I used to sing with children in this church that Jesus loves the world and gave his life for it. May we never forget it. And so the question to us today is, do I trust and obey Jesus with everything? This is where it gets real personal. What sin do you need to lay down? and walk away from. I'm not talking about all your goods, as long as they're there to advance the kingdom of Jesus, as long as you're tithing to your church, as long as you're sharing the goodness of God with those who have need, as long as you're, as long as you're perpetuating the gospel of Jesus around the world. I have no problem with you owning something and making sure that you know it came from God and making sure that you're sharing it to advance his kingdom. What I'm asking you, if there's sin in your life, will you lay it down and will you walk away? Everything Levi had was associated with sin. So what is it? I don't know that it was necessarily sin, but when I was younger, I used to worry a lot about what people think. And it would cause me to be quiet. So there is the sin of omission. Things that you omit that you should be doing. Things that, that you don't do that you should be doing. Things that, that you don't say that you should say for the good of the kingdom. 
now, now that I'm older, I'm becoming like my father and losing my filter. He was a member here. It's okay. <clears throat> For those of you who are wondering, I've been described as having the brashness of my father and the kindness of my mother. That's a pretty good day right there. I'm called to sacrifice. I'm called to obey. Whatever it is, I've taught my children, I teach grandchildren now, I teach our students, I teach our staff and faculty in a $20 million enterprise. Whatever you do, you make sure, you make sure you chase after God no matter what. It doesn't mean you can't have anything. It just means you're supposed to lay down your sin and follow God. So that leads us to the next issue, and that is that following Jesus requires repentance. Repentance is the eternal turn to God, to leave sin behind, as if this was the way of the world and this is the way of the cross, that I would turn my back on sin, that I would ask God to purify my life, that he would give me the assurance and the ability to say no to sin, to have victory over sin, it's what the scriptures call sanctification. It's what's also called holiness. It's not because I'm better than somebody else. I have decided to follow Jesus and there is no turning back. That I would literally do a 180. But what happens in our culture too many times is that we make a deal with God. You know, the big guy upstairs. I used to kind of take that personal when somebody started talking about the big guy. But they'd make a yeah, I've got a deal, <clears throat> I would have people tell me. They still say it. I've got some kind of understanding with God. I'm not as bad as so-and-so, you know, Levi the tax collector. I'm not as bad as him, for crying out loud. And so we make this decision, and it goes something like this. Thank you for saving my soul. Uh, let me know when you get to Newcastle because you're coming from the east in the second coming. I'll come to the altar at Brown's Chapel. I'll get right with God in one last final time. But I've still got some living to do. And instead of doing a 180 in repentance, we do a 360 like a ballerina and we continue in our sin. And that is not what's expected when you follow Jesus. It's literally laying everything down, submitting to Christ, obeying Christ, sacrificing your will for his will in your life. That is true repentance. Repentance literally means to turn. But it's not a 360. It's a 180. And following a different way, following a different life, talking a different talk, thinking about things differently than maybe you did before. And so... It includes this life of salvation and sanctification and asking God to give you victory over sin. It is possible in this life. It doesn't mean that you're perfect forever. It doesn't mean that you won't slip or slide. I have people all over the world literally asking to this day, do Wesleyans still believe in backsliding? I look at them and say, no. No, we don't. And they're shocked. Oh, you've become reformed. Praise the Lord, you finally get it, that you'll sit in word, thought, and deed. Oh, no, 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 hang on just a second. We don't believe in it, we practice it. We're, we don't just say that we think about that. I know Wesleyans all over the world that actually do it. 
And we fall away from God. Why? Because we put ourselves in front of him. We decide we're going to obey ourselves instead of him. We have our own thoughts about things instead of the things of the Holy Spirit that work in our lives and help us to stay turned toward the cross instead of turned toward the world. I'm having a little bit of fun with you, but, but think about it. The only way you'll ever be perfect is when you've drawn your last breath and then, then doctrinally in heaven you will be glorified before your master. That doesn't happen until heaven. But I'm telling you, it is possible to live a life today without being trapped by the grip of sin. Hey, Levi, drop it and turn around and go with Christ. Do I trust him? Have I made the commitment and then also the decision to follow him? Following Jesus reminds us that we need to be an intentional witness. Not a, not a fair weather witness, not a, not a someday witness, not a when I like the person witness, not, not a when I feel like it witness, but an intentional witness. What does that mean? Jesus and the church have one purpose. One, to call sinners to a life of repentance. Why? So that we can be at one with God. Here and not yet. Here and in heaven. Here and in paradise, in eternity. That we would be the children of God, that according to the gospel of John, he gave us the right to, not because we're special, but because we have the opportunity to place our faith in him, to believe in him, to leave everything of sin behind and follow him. Praise the Lord for the example of Levi that would then become part of the kingdom of God and advance the witness of Jesus even after Jesus ascends into heaven that we could have the opportunity to be forgiven and literally have our lives turned around and changed for him and make an influence in this world for the kingdom. What a privilege that is to be intentional in our witness. Not just because somebody comes and starts talking to us. Not because it's something that, well, I made this commitment at church and I probably ought to do this. No, because it is right. And there are people all around us going to hell. And we sometimes, okay, maybe it's just me. I don't care enough someday. It feels like the whole world's going to hell today. But I'll just stay in my little booth. And I'll be okay. Jesus came to this earth to seek and to save the lost. He did not come to this earth to hold the hand of the righteous. I remember very clearly in 1995, I preached a message in this room. I wasn't angry. I wasn't upset. But I was in the text of Nehemiah. The church was beginning to grow. There, there was no overflow over here. There was a wall right there. That ceiling has a beam in it that you would not believe to hold up that opening. 
Some of you are here and know what I'm talking about. Those are all classrooms and restrooms with no hot water, by the way. <laughs> I preached a message about Nehemiah. And I asked for help. Not because I didn't think anybody was helping. It's just because, again, I was young and dumb and like Nehemiah said, I, I need some help on the wall. We started something where we were uh, focused on specific ministries of the church. And the church was running about probably 65 or 75 in morning worship at the time. And, and um, you know, this congregation started here on this corner in 1838. And so, <clears throat> well over 100 years later, I'm... I'm preaching this message and, and just wondering if God wanted us to take a bigger hunk out of Hancock County for his kingdom and depopulate hell out of this place anyway. And to your credit, you jumped in. But the analogy that I used was actually from the New Testament, which is dangerous to use antecedent theology where Nehemiah didn't know anything about the Gospels yet. And the analogy I used actually was to Luke 15. The story of the lost son, the story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin. That when a sinner repents, heaven rejoices, and we should have some cake too. And so that particular analogy was regarding the lost sheep and knowing that it's still the case, it's actually just a little bit younger today, that that our children are the ones that are most accepting to the gospel message and the good news of Jesus. And back then it was about at the age of 16 that 90% of Western America or Western, uh, the Western world and the Western evangelical church was having an effect. About 90% of those who accepted Jesus were under the age of 16. Today it's 90% under the age of 12 that accept Jesus. And so I was stressing children's ministry and youth ministry and and asking people to help, and, and, and it was something that the congregation very readily embraced here. And they had already done it. I was already here as a youth pastor in a church that was running less than 50. It was unheard of to have that kind of commitment to youth and children in any place, let alone this place. And, and so we started in and dug in again and started to get more and more intentional about ministry. And, and I literally said this. This is, this is the, the dumb part. I literally said, if you're saved and you know Jesus, you're the 99, you're fine. Let's go after the lost one. I wasn't wrong, you understand. I probably just could have been a little bit kinder to somebody who was maybe already saved. But I'm telling you, Jesus came to call sinners to repentance, not to hold the hand of the righteous. And so I don't come to you today angry but actually very grateful because you've gotten it through the years you got it along with thomas williams in 1902 who when the methodist protestant church had a meeting on this grounds because the whole area was devastated by a cyclone they called it back then now called a tornado now called a wind shear now called it you know what who knows what 
literally devastated barns and crops and this particular setting with schoolhouse number nine on the corner was something in the county that was very well respected in, in this place. And they were voting to close the church because they didn't know how to repair the church with their barns down and their crops gone and their houses so damaged from this tornado that came through. And they were getting ready to place the vote, the history says. And Thomas Williams stood to his feet. Some of you are related to this man still in this church. He stood to his feet. This is what he said. We should build the church back first. And then the school. And then our barns. And then our houses. Totally flipped the history of this church in one statement. 1902, 120 years ago. That was a sacrificial and an obedient and an intentional speech. For what? For the loss of this region. So, well, good. We're still here. You're right. It would have been closed. That's the way it was headed, according to the describer of the history of this particular congregation. Maybe Thomas Williams knew something that we need to know, and that is that it's an honor to let somebody know that Jesus loves them, and that he has a future for them, and that he wants to turn their lives around, and that they can leave their old junk behind. And that we can be intentional in offering that same Jesus, perhaps to somebody here today that needs to hear it, perhaps to somebody tomorrow that we'll meet. That message of Nehemiah, that message of help me go after lost sheep was something that was a pivot point. It was one of those, you know, game changers the response of the congregation and I, I'm not in the place or the position to put that kind of challenge in front of you. I, I'm not your pastor, but I can tell you the gospel message is the same. And I can tell you, you've got friends and neighbors that need Jesus. And I can tell you that the evangelical church has lost its evangelical fervor. And I can tell you that sometimes we need not yet eyes. And I can tell you that I personally think that this next generation, it's not just because of the position I'm in, it's because of something that this congregation instilled in me and I didn't realize it until I became the president of a university. I happen to think, I may be the only person in my generation that thinks this, and I tell our students this, I tell prospective students this, I tell their parents this. I happen to think that this generation of young adults, I know what the world says about them. I even know what the church says about them. But I happen to think as they get right with Christ, as they repent, that's number one, and it will always be number one. Don't doubt number one. Keep number one, number one. As they get right with Christ and repent, 
and literally follow Christ and leave whatever it is behind and take the compassion they have for their fellow human beings that my generation doesn't have. It's not the same. It's not the same kind of care. It's not the same kind of acceptance. Sometimes tolerance, but also the acceptance as they get right with Christ and accept the world that God created and all the potential that's in this generation and every generation to come. I happen to think... I happen to believe that they can fix this world for Christ. And not only do I believe that, we kind of need them to. Look at us. I mean, look at me. I thought I was doing it right. But apparently not. I look at every young person on our campus. And even at commencement, give them a penny when they graduate. You can use this. I I have no idea where I got it. Solomon would say I stole it from somebody. (laughs) I give them a penny at commencement. They, They get a diploma too if they finish. That's important. Associate's degrees. Bachelor's degrees, master's degrees, doctorates. Wendy actually hands them out after they get their diploma and take the picture with me and all the hoity-toity gowns and medallions and all the pomp and circumstance. They get a penny. By the way, they get a penny when they visit the campus for the first time too. It's just not as fancy. Here's the message. If God is calling you, if God is impressing something on your heart even today, I don't, I don't have a penny for you. I should have brought some, but <laughs> you can hand them out. I'll tell you when. I'll tell you when to do it. Somebody bring a bunch of pennies and start handing them out. God's leading you. Would you consider the backside of a penny? It's spelled differently. I know an English major pointed that out to me one day. It says one cent. We ask our graduates as they leave our university to go out and make a difference for Christ in the world, giving their lives to Christ and literally sharing the love of Christ and the truth of Christ with every person they can, no matter where they go in the world, no matter what vocation. We have 21 different countries on our campus this year, 22 if you count Texas. Backside of a penny says one cent. We want you to go out and look at that penny every day, and our graduates are doing it. It's kind of corny, but it will preach. I'm a preacher. I'm not a president. Go out and be one cent for Christ and advance his kingdom and fix this world the way that God created it in the first place. They send pictures back now. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. You get fancy titles when you're a president. I'm doing it, Dr. Dunn. My name's still Jim. I'm doing it. I'm going to be one cent. It's our theme. We train, equip, and send students, graduates, men and women to go out and advance the kingdom of Jesus and fix this world. That's why we exist. Why do you exist? Every time you see a penny, I know. An upside down penny means bad luck. No, huh? It says one cent. Go be one cent. Now, here's some simple application. Five weeks from today is Easter Sunday. Five weeks from today. In this calendar year, 
John Hunt and I used to, 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 to talk about the fact that we needed two Easter's in a calendar. One that was really the Passover, and then this Roman calendar thing. April 17th, Easter, this year. Who needs Jesus between now and then? Maybe get a penny, turn it over on your kitchen, on your bathroom counter, whatever it is. Maybe it's in your car. You know, that throwaway change. It says one cent. I'm going to pause as we finish today. Who is it? Maybe it's you. That needs to hear the command of Jesus. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a co-worker. Maybe somebody at school. Maybe a friend. Maybe somebody that you'll meet this week. Would you be willing to allow God's spirit to work through your life and to simply be an intentional witness for him? It could take some courage. It could take some boldness. It, it could take somebody that you really don't even want to talk to. It could take that kind of sacrifice. But I'm willing to be sent. I'm willing to be one saint so that this person can know Jesus. The command today and every day. Two words. Follow me. That's it. Part of following Jesus is being a witness for Jesus. I'm going to ask you in this moment just to bow your heads and close your eyes. I think we're going to sing or at least have some music and Pastor Theo will close the service out. But who is it? What's the name that's coming to your mind? Somebody that needs Jesus and you'd be willing to be sent You'd be willing for God to open doors. Maybe it's you that needs to lay something down and follow Christ. Will you consider what it is and who it is that God is talking to you about this morning? Jesus said, follow me. Levi got up left everything and followed Jesus and then hosted a banquet that Jesus was actually critiqued for because he was in a house full of sinners. Don't forget it, Brown's Chapel. Jesus came to call and to save sinners so that they could have new life in him.